Good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Jenny. I am one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and it's really good to be in church with you this morning. Um, I love this psalm. Uh, it's such a beautiful psalm, and I love that we have like a theme song to go with it, as we have for a lot of our psalms that we've been singing over the past few weeks. Uh, we're in our third Sunday in Lent, as Kayla said at the beginning of the service, um, and that for us is a season of fasting and repentance and of prayer. And so for this season, what we've decided to do during this, this time during the worship service is to uh, talk about the psalms, is to reflect on the psalms. It's the prayer book of the Bible. And more in particular, we're thinking about this idea of like prayer in the night, um, how do we think about God when we're in dark or um, kind of fallow seasons? How do we pray, pray and engage with God when we're in seasons of sadness or in pain? And this psalm in particular is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God, which may feel um, strange if we're thinking like, how do we pray in the night? You know, how do we pray in those dark times to sing a psalm that's so thankful for who God is and for what God has done in a person's life? And yet I think it is precisely the kind of prayer that we ought to be praying when we're in seasons of sadness or darkness. What the psalmist is doing here is telling him or herself to praise the Lord. Soul, like literally telling their soul. Soul, bless the Lord today. Soul, it's time to bless the Lord. It's time to praise the Lord. All that is within me, bless his holy name. This is the prayer of a person who's had like a real encounter with a holy and saving God. The kind of encounter that changes you, that makes you the kind of person who can worship in dark and hard spaces. So the work of thinking about this psalm is the work of understanding worship, not just what worship is, but why we worship, and maybe even why we don't tend to worship, I think is helpful. So we're going to do today, we're going to talk about worship, and I think it's probably going to feel more to you maybe like a class, um, and yet I think that that's really good to kind of be in a class for our souls, you know, on how to worship, how do we become people who are the types of people who can sit in a posture of worship before God, um, especially in this place, but this place has a training space for the rest of your life. But I also want to say this before I begin is that um, I think this was true of us as Trinity, and I believe it's in where we'll inherit it. It's part of God's call on the life of being Emmanuel, being this church, is that we are a place for people who have church hurt. Um, we are like a, a soul hospital, and I don't think that's ever going to change. And so this morning, if you're feeling those kinds of feelings, like if you're feeling um, like I'm just barely here, please don't tell me I have to worship. <laughs> um, I just want to say, be, be who you are. Be where you are. Do not feel like pressured to join in on this um, in any more than way, ways than just receiving it this morning. Um, be, be where you are and let Jesus be with you this morning. So let's talk about what worship is first because I think that's helpful. Um, also, I'm going to talk about later in the sermon about y'all being with me in the sermon, so you can start that now. So if I say something you like or you agree with, you can look at me like, yeah, that's good. Or you can say things like, amen, or uh, as Micah's dad likes to say, stop, which is um, unclear, but I love it. So, um, <laughs> like, okay. So worship is assigning worth to something. So when we worship God, we're telling God he is worthy, worthy of our praise, worthy of our time, worthy of all the sacrifices we give in order to be people of God. Uh, so as Christians, our worship in particular tells God that he's worthier than other things in our life. So it's not just that God is worthy when we come to church and worship God or worship God in our lives. It's that God is the most worthy thing in our life. You have the most worth of all the things in my life is what we're telling God when we worship him. 
And because of that, worship isn't just the 30 minutes we just spent together um, on Sundays. It's not just singing. It is a big part of it, which I will talk about more later. Uh, Worship is anything that gives God the honor that God deserves. Worship is when we choose God over other things that are fighting for our allegiance. Worship is when we thank God for what God has done. So even just being in gratefulness to God is worship. So I want to talk about first why I think it's hard for us to worship. Because so many of us, we can hear a lot about worship and what it is and you know, how maybe even to engage. But there are some roadblocks for us that we have to get through in order to get to that space. So I'm going to say three things. Uh, the first uh, is a very long term. So a study by a sociologist, Christian Smith, was conducted in 2005, some of you may be aware of this, and found that many young Christians, they were actually teenagers at the time, um, so a lot of us, uh, those of us who were teenagers in 2005 are now here in this room, Uh, so welcome, I am one of you. Um, And he found that many of these young Christians had a similar set of beliefs that they believed were theologically relevant and, and sound, Um, And he termed this theology moralistic therapeutic deism. Anyone ever heard of this? Yeah, some of you. Uh, So the reason he calls it this is um, because moralistic and that central to living a good and happy life is being a good and moral person. It's moralistic. Secondly is therapeutic in that Christianity or religion ought to make us feel better. I go to church because I feel better and it helps me get through the week, you know. And then deism. There is a being who created the world and set a moral order in place, but that isn't, but isn't, that isn't interested in being intimately involved with his creatures. So that's the idea of deism, if you've ever studied religion. We want Christianity to help us do good. We want it to make us feel good. And we want to think that God is only involved in as much as those things are taking place. We don't actually want God intimately involved in our lives unless we're going through something hard and then we pray, pray, pray. And then when things are good or we're doing something we shouldn't, we think, oh, God's not interested in this. God's not involved in this. Not that, uh, that being is really not that worthy of our worship, if you ask me. Which I think this is one of the reasons so many of us have a hard time engaging in worship. So secondly, is pain avoidance. Because God is light, when we step into God's presence intentionally, whether that be at church, in worship, or even in our own prayer life, a lot of times this light kind of turns on in our in ourselves, in our souls, and all the things that we're doing throughout our days to avoid those feelings and those thoughts that come bubbling to the surface. Other than laziness, which that's not an accusation, it's just true. Other than laziness, I think this is the main reason we do not have a consistent prayer life. Because we, it hurts when we come before God. Um, all the things that we're trying to hide and not think about, those things come up because Jesus wants to heal them. You know, when he encounters people in the gospels, he says, like, what do you want me to do for you? And that happens to us in prayer, and we're like, if you're going to ask me, I don't want to be here. You know, I don't want to say. It hurts. Pain avoidance. Self-centeredness is the last one. I'm sure there are a myriad of reasons, but these are the three that came to my mind. In assigning worth to God, we're saying, you're worth more than anything else. You're worth more than myself, my life, my choices, my preferences. To serve something else, something other than ourselves, is a very strange thing to do in the world today. Um, It takes away our sort of personal liberties, and uh, there's nothing worse in the world. There's... um, it's the cultural sin of our age, right, is to, is to pledge your allegiance to something other than yourself, to submit yourself to something else. And a lot of us even have a lot of problems with that word, submit. Um, and some of us should. Some of us have grown up in environments where we should steer clear of that word for a lot of reasons. And yet it's the reason, uh, it's the word that is given to us for what our posture should be towards God, submission. 
Autonomy is so much safer. Um, as my father would say, <laughs> it's more evolved to be autonomous. It's smarter. Independence is your right. You shouldn't have to submit to anything, we think. So, of course, we don't have a posture of worship in our life. Of course, we come through these doors and we have to kind of change the way we think in order to put ourselves under something that is bigger than ourselves. God is worthy of our worship because of who God is and not because God makes us feel good or pleases us or does what we want. God is not worthy because I assign worthiness to God. God is worthy outside of me. God is worthy outside of my own life. God has always been the worthiest thing, will always be the worthiest thing. God has been found worthy by people throughout the generations, throughout history. This thing cannot go away. He's too worthy. If all of us died today, this thing would go on because God has been found worthy by humans throughout history. So how do we come to a place of worship? How do we combat all the things that would pull us away from a vision of God that's bigger than us? Jesus, often in the Gospels, and then Paul takes up this sort of mantle, tells us to wake up. And what that means is to come up from like the distractions that we're living in and see what is most real and most true. One of the things I love about this psalm is that it preaches the gospel like start to finish. And that's what I think God wants us to hear this morning in this psalm, to wake up what is most true. The psalm tells us, wake up to the fact that God is holy and God is loving. That God deserves our praise because God is both sovereign and compassionate. So how do we wake up to those realities? The psalm also tells us, we come into an awareness of our sin and an awareness of our smallness, our frailty which is one of the things we do in this season. Both of those things are. So an awareness of our sin. I'm going to say these two things, and then we're going to talk about how to engage in worship, and then we'll close. One of the reasons we struggle with worship is that we aren't aware, I think, of how unworthy we are. And that may be like a scary thing to say in the world today. Um, but what I don't mean is self-abasement all the time. What I think is actually true is that we are oftentimes so prideful. <laughs> we live in a state of such pride um, that when we, uh, when we have to admit guilt or something we did wrong, the, the opposite side of that is we feel utterly ashamed, um, horrified by who we are because we're meant to live in this state of pride. And so we shift back and forth as humans in our world today between pride and shame. And so if I have to admit that I maybe am not perfect or I've maybe done something wrong, what it does to me is utter, utterly destroys me. That's what our cultural narrative would tell you. And here's the beautiful thing about confession and about the Holy Spirit is that is not the work of the Spirit, is pushing you between pride and shame. The work of the Spirit is to give you a reality check on who you are and who God is. So confession is not a means for you to say, I'm the most horrible thing that's ever existed and I hate myself. That's not what confessing sin is. That's not what realizing how unworthy we are is for. Um, it's not an act of disgrace. It is actually fully an act of grace. Because when we realize how sinful we are and how much we need God, it is then that we can actually receive the love from God that we need, the grace from God that we so desire, and then give it out back out to the world. This psalm says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. So far, he removes our transgressions from us. 
when we become aware of how sinful we are, it is then that we can understand and appreciate and worship God for how holy God is. Jackie Hill Perry wrote a book called Holier Than Thou uh, that's amazing that you should all read. And she says this about God. To say that God is holy is to say that God is God. Holiness is not an aspect of God. Holy is who he is through and through. His attributes are never at odds with one another, nor do they switch places depending on God's mood. They are him. If God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being there is? And so very worthy of our worship. So the second thing is awareness of our smallness. This text says, for he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. Our days are but a breath, the psalmist says. We are so in control of our lives and our health at this point in human history that it is really easy for us to forget. This has not been true for the majority of human history. Death has been all around us. Death has been something that we dealt with daily, if not in our own lives with like other people that we know and love than with animals. We're so disconnected from death. Mark Sayers, um, who's a pastor and um, a prophet, I think, uh, says a lot of things about our cultural moment. One of the things he says is we've been living in this thing called a secular Sabbath, where we've like had sort of a, a corporate relief from being a human, this kind of connection to death, this connection to pain. And then what COVID has done is kind of brought us back into this place of like, oh no, we're frail. We could die. Um, thing, bad things could happen. And so we're looking to all of these different things to try to like pull us back into the safety and the peace that we felt in that secular Sabbath for so long. But if this is the reality of what it is to be human, it's actually a good thing that we're in that place of realizing like, oh, my days are short. We think we are the center, such a, uh, such a big part of what God is doing. And actually, I think we are a small part, an integral part, but a small part of what God is actually doing. And here is the point in the sermon where I quote Neil deGrasse Tyson to you. I hope you're ready. Anyone seen Cosmos? Can I see? Like, can I see your, yeah, a few people? Okay. I love it. I'm, um, science and religion, so interesting, so fun. Maybe a PhD one day, honey. Um, I love it. So some of you are going to be like, pew, for this part. But try to stay engaged. I think it's really interesting. Um, helps me remember my own smallness and like put me in a place of wonder before the creator. Um, so in the beginning of the show Cosmos, he talks about the history of the cosmos in the terms of, he puts it in terms of a calendar year, kind of puts it in perspective for us of, of how things line up if we put it in, within a calendar year. So he says this, our universe was born 13.8 billion years ago. If we condense that time down to one calendar year, we create what is called the cosmic calendar. In this cosmic calendar, one day equals 40 million years, and one month equals more than one billion years. If the Big Bang happened at the beginning of the year, the first second of January 1st, then, as it expanded, the universe cooled, and it was darkness for about 20 million years. Gravity was pulling together clumps of gas and heating them until the first stars burst into light on January 10th. On January 13th, these stars coalesced to form the first small galaxies. 
these galaxies merged to form still larger ones, including our own Milky Way. It formed about 11 billion years ago, on March 15th of the cosmic year. It took until September for the solar system to develop an early Earth to be created. Life starts about that time, too. In this scale, humans didn't arise until the last day of the year, and modern civilization makes up about the last 14 seconds of the year. Everyone we have ever heard of who lived in those, four, lived in those 14 seconds, deGrasse Tyson says. Every person you've ever heard of lies right in there. All those kings and battles, migrations and inventions, wars and loves, everything in the history books happened here in the last seconds of the cosmic calendar. And yet not a sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing. Isn't that worthy of worship? That we are but a small part in what God is doing in the universe and yet God knows every single thing about you. He knows every hair on your head. He deserves all our worship and our praise because even though we are cosmically a blip on the radar, he cannot forget us. He told us that. He cannot exit our story. He cannot not love us. So how do we worship is a big question um, and one that we ought to do a longer class on because I wish that I had a lot more time to say the following things, but we'll go through it quickly. Um, and I want to talk about how do we worship in this room, not because you can't worship outside of this room, you must. <laughs> um, but I think what this space is meant to do for us is to train us in the kinds of people, the kind of lives we're meant to live outside of this space. So three kind of engagements I want to talk about, engaging in musical worship, engaging in the sermon, and in the Eucharist. So music on Sundays is special because we are corporately assigning worth to God. Um, I'm sure many of you have been a part of services, I feel this way every Sunday, um, where there's something that happens when we sing together. There's something that sort of like opens up in myself, but that like opens up in this room. The spirit just becomes more present. And that's because music does something to us. Not only does it like focus our worship and our attention on one thing, but it engages so many parts of our brains and our hearts that our whole being sort of like comes together, focused in one direction towards giving worth towards God. It's transcendent. So a lot of us find it easier to feel God, to worship God when we're singing together. Anybody feel that way? It moves something in us when that is otherwise distracted. So when we come into worship together, this is not a rebuke, so don't take it that way. Be on time. <laughs> Maybe it is a rebuke. I don't know. We pray at the beginning. We pray the collect. And we like put all of our prayers together into this one prayer and say, this is how we're going to look at God this week, today in worship. We are having coffee again. Leave it down for worship. Don't hold it, you know? Let your body engage in what's going on in the service. If we ever have bagels again, I will have put in my two weeks notice. I don't like the bagels. You shouldn't be snacking during worship. <laughs> you can eat any other time during your week. Not during this time. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Sing. And I know Micah is gracious, and he says, if you don't know this song, receive it. And that's okay. There, you know, it's weird to sing a song you don't know. Um, but if it's a song you just don't particularly like, sing anyways. Engage wholeheartedly in something that's not your preference. That's good for your soul. 
not only is it good for your soul, but it's good for the person next to you who might like that song. Who, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> who, if we are trying to sing things that sound more like the neighborhood in which we live, being a faithful presence here, if it's a song that's not your preference, it will love your neighbor if you sing with them. Engage wholeheartedly when we sing in worship. Use your body. Um, if you ever watch over here, which I hope you don't because that's weird, but I am not particularly like a, a very physical person when it comes to worship. And yet there are still things that I know that I need to do to say, soul, we're going to worship God this morning. So engaging your body in any way that that looks. Putting out your hands, raising them maybe, which I know feels like vulnerable and scary to some people. And it does to me too sometimes. But the reason is this, is that we're literally opening ourselves up to God. And when we close ourselves off, that is what we are communicating with our bodies to God, to our souls. I don't have to do this this morning. I just feel like this today or pockets or coffee or whatever the thing is. So when we use our bodies, we're saying, I'm going to open myself up to something this morning. I'm going to put myself out before God and say, what would you have today? Or you deserve all the things, so I'm opening myself up towards you. If you, again, look over here, you'll see our lead pastor who claps loud enough to shake the foundations of the earth. And maybe that's you. This is your invitation. Be that person here. We want you to be that here. If you're singing a song that's making you feel like you're going to break down, do it. It's okay. You won't be judged. I remember reading a blog of someone who came to this church years ago who read about how she had to go to the bathroom to have like an emotional breakdown and how that shouldn't be the, the, the posture of the church. And this is me saying from up here, it doesn't have to be. You can be whoever you need to be in this space. Let your worship live out of your body during that space and during the rest of the time, which we'll talk about now. Engaging in the sermon, it's a little theology lesson. As Anglicans, our sermons aren't motivational speeches. They are sacrifices of praise to God that priests and pastors offer to the Lord right in front of your faces every week. They are reflections on God's holy word and are not taken lightly by the people who stand up here, myself included. So be present with us in that sacrifice. Be present with us in our worship up here. I'm not doing this because it's fun. It is. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I am doing this because I believe God has put me here to say something to you. And for you to receive it like I'm a movie screen is, is not worship for me. It's really helpful in the same way that we sing during worship for the people in the audience to be as engaged, for the people of God doing the liturgy, which is the work of God, to be as engaged with me as I am engaged in this moment especially if you're going to have guest preachers up here, which we've told you as we work for empowerment and, and giving away this, this space and other places of power in our church. If we have guests up here and you look at them like they're strangers, it's not hospitable. So let's say something to people who are up here. And that doesn't mean you have to be, we have to become a church that we're not. It just means like, look at me like you're with me, you know? Say yes, say that's good, say stop if you need to. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> And to you folks at home, if you are able to be here, we need you in this room. I need you to be here. I need you to be faces in the crowd who are worshiping with me. God needs you to be here. These people need you to be here. If you are sick and unable to be here, stay home. 
But if you are at home, because it's nice to have your PJs on (laughs) during worship, come back and be with us. We love you. We need you here. And lastly, and I wish that all the sermon was about this part because it's the most important, is communion. This is the highlight of our service. Did you know that? Everything we do that leads to this point is for this table, is for this moment. This sermon is to just like dig up soil in your heart so when you get up here and take communion, it's like seeds in your soul that grows into something over the week. But we like till the soil up until this moment. But this is it. This is the moment where you get seeds in your soul that grow you into the kind of person you're meant to be, that grow you into the, to Christ-likeness. Our communion liturgy is the most important thing we do. We move aside in this moment and let Jesus take center stage as it always ought to be. We confess, we share peace, and acknowledge the holiness and compassion of God. And then we come forward to remember in our bodies what Jesus did for us. To get as close as we can, this is it, to the reality of the cross. And every week we get to do this, that ought to fill you with wonder and worship. So this this sermon falls into this sermon series because no matter what season we are in, no matter how dark the days, God is always worthy of our praise. And in that song we just sang, Bless the Lord, this idea that like when I come to the evening, let me be singing. Let me be the kind of person who finds God so worthy that even in my darkest spaces, the thing that comes out of me is bless the Lord, O my soul. You know what to do, soul. We bless the Lord in moments like this. We train ourselves for those times. God is so worthy. Jesus is so worthy. He's so good and so holy. He outbegan us and will outlive us bigger than us. We sing this song that says, let my life bring praise. And I was thinking about that and singing that through this whole sermon in my, uh, during the writing. Let my life, Lord, bring praise. You are so worthy of it. Let my life be a worship song to you. Be a song unto the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.